The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Jodrand. Joining me, as always, is Amon Kafai. And guess who's back? Jake Watroba. On this episode, we discuss whether or not the International Champions Cup is worthy and its meaning to U.S. soccer. Yahoo sports writer and U.S. men's national team insider Doug McIntyre joins us to chat more on the Davies move to Bayern Munich. And finally, we look at something controversial. Maybe you haven't even heard of it. It's regarding U.S. soccer. Now, before we get to today's show, I do want to remind you to follow us on Twitter, UncSamSoccerPod. I, myself, Stephen Jodorant, at Armand Kafai, at Jake Watroba. We always enjoy your feedback, your commentary, so continue to send those in. You can find the show on any major podcast platform, and if you haven't done so, check out the mini-series on the potential relocation of the Columbus crew and my roundtable discussion with Peter Wilt, Eric Stover, and Nicholas Mendola on lower division soccer. It's worthy of a listen, giving you insight into lower division soccer never heard of before. But let's get to today's show. All right, boys. The International Champions Cup. little trivia for you. When was it created? 2012. 2013. 2013. Ding, ding, ding. It was created by a bloke named Stephen M. Ross in Relevant Sports. They organized the Guinness International Champions Cup, the ICC, transforming the standard of European club preseason soccer into something, quote, remarkable, a competitive world-class tournament 2004 i think was really when it was at its all-time high it expanded here in the united states had a ton of powerhouses and it had the u.s record-breaking crowd of 109,318 fans at the university of michigan's big house where manchester united defeated real madrid in the largest soccer match in u.s history 2015 it went global going to Australia and China. And today, here it is, reaching literally all aspects of the world. Armand and Jake, when it first began, were you excited for this? I'm going to be honest with you, Chief. I haven't cared about the International Champions Cup ever since inception. Uh, I know uh, it has created some buzz. I know I think Real Madrid played, uh, I think it was Roma in the Cotton Ball in 2015, and a lot of people in the Dallas area went there 
And I know Barcelona and uh, Roma are playing here this year. <laughs> Honestly, I don't care. I don't even watch it on TV. Um, I'd much rather watch the SKC FC Dallas match that was on last night than any of those ICC matches. Or there's preseason warmups. I mean, what else is there to expect? Competitive soccer? No, <laughs> I don't see that at all. Yeah, I. Uh, the only time I've ever been excited for it was two years ago when it came to Minneapolis, um, I saw Chelsea play AC Milan. So that was pretty cool at the time. Obviously, I'm a Chelsea fan, too. So I got to see Chelsea in person, which was, which was you know, something I've always wanted to do, albeit I would prefer if it was at Stamford Bridge. But um, that has really been the only time I've been excited about it. Uh, I know Spurs and AC Milan are playing here. I think it's on Tuesday, and I can tell you I couldn't give a bleep about it. Here's a headline from a couple of days ago, July 20th, 2018, Forbes.com. American soccer's future may be in trouble. Can the International Champions Cup help save it? Yosef Weitzman, he goes on to talk about how the International Champions Cup could benefit U.S. soccer. This, This is the hottest take of uh hot take 2018 <laughs> yeah this one this might yeah if there's like a hot take award um Skip. This, this might win the 2018 hot take award i think this is such a false paradox how how I, somehow preseason european soccer is going to life and exi- it's going to ignite u.s soccer Dude, people don't care about it. People don't even show up. The tickets are ridiculously expensive. Okay, you, you might just point at me and say, oh, look, the big house. Man United, Liverpool, everyone showed up. What? 102,000. That's like the exception this year. Like all the stadiums have been empty from what I've been seeing because people don't care. It's no, the no, truth. no, 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 no. The thing is, U.S. soccer has absolutely no connection to European soccer. It, there, it's a false paradox. The issue is with MLS and lower division soccer in America. That's where it feels from, okay? And, and and guess who's going to these games? It's not your neutrals. It's people who follow the teams. They might right. be Euro snobs, but it's definitely not a neutral who can care less about <laughs> soccer in America. It, it's such a false paradox. Jurgen Klopp, to bring together 100,000 people to watch a football game, that says a lot. I don't think they all flew <laughs> from Europe. I'm sure most of them are in America. That is a good sign. Yeah. Like, they're hello, diehard, Liverpool, it's they're like, diehard Liverpool fans from 2016. I, I just <laughs> it, it's a false paradox in the sense that it ignites US soccer. By the way, that record hundred plus thousand in two thousand fourteen between Real Madrid and I think what, Manchester United? Could yeah. you guys tell me in two thousand fourteen who the MLS champ was? Is that Real Salt Lake? No, it was SKC, wasn't it? Nope, nope. I'll give you guys one more chance. Was, it, was SKC 2013? Uh, it was the uh, Los because, Angeles because, because, Galaxy of Anaheim. Yeah, it, was Gal- it was Galaxy because Portland <laughs> won in 2015, Seattle won in 2016, Toronto won in 2017. Okay, who was the top scorer that year? Either. Who was the what? Top scorer. He's still in the league oh. today. 2014? Yeah. Was it Wando? No. BWP? Yeah. Who won the Supporter Shield? Red Bull? No, Seattle. My, my point being is we had 107,000 show up in, in 2014 for a damn friendly. Did that really fuel U.S. soccer? 
No. The, the, the ICC is of no relevance to U.S. soccer and its growth here in America. It does nothing. Do you realize what a bad look it is on, to turn on ESPN? You have Bayern Munich and Manchester City and an, an Alabama <clears throat> native going through the Dallas Academy system, starting a friendly, and it was a bleep show on, on TV. It was empty. The stadium, you could hear the players yell at each other. Can I, let me here. Um, there's only one scenario in which it helps U.S. soccer, and that is when and this is ha- this is ha- this happened when I w- went to it two years ago. When it's when a match is being played in a newly constructed NFL stadium, that is the only time it's helping U.S. soccer, and the reason that is, it cost me at the time. I think 80 bucks, and you guys can rip me for this, 80 bucks for a seat to see Chelsea AC Milan sit in the third deck. That is expensive for a preseason friendly, I, I know. However, if I wanted to go see the Vikings play at U.S. Bank Stadium in 2015 or 16, whatever year it was, I could have paid probably three times that amount to um, to sit where I sat. So you get to, for every person that's just going there to see the new stadium, uh, have to believe a large chunk of them aren't soccer fans. So in the same sense that you are exposing, potentially exposing um, the game and the sport to uh, a new audience. So that's the only way I can see it being uh, a positive for U.S. soccer. But if they're playing at Levi Stadium or whatever, and they have... I Jeez, mean, that friendly... They had, what, what, what 5, San Jose, San Jose and Man United, they said 30. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, looked, it looked like a kickoff of the 49ers game. There was nobody there. <laughs> 16,000 showed up for <laughs> Dortmund versus Benfica in Pittsburgh. 16? 16. And this was is Pulisic not playing? Pulisic played. Wait, what? They only got 16,000? Yeah, I'm no, close. but close to Pittsburgh wow. versus Pennsylvania. Exactly. What I'm telling you is ICC does nothing. And, and, and the fact that the article continues or did mention how you know the world cup and the ratings were down time zones u.s men's national team not there yeah that has a lot to do with it okay i don't the icc for me look i regardless of you know if it helps u.s soccer or not i think it's just like i don't care you know i'd much rather watch mls i think we're all like that i think i'd much rather watch mls i know steven i know you've kind of changed uh from back in the day when you uh, hated MLS, but now would you like admit you'd much rather watch MLS than an ICC match, right? Um, I, I think even back then, I, it depended on who was playing. I think you know, if I like Liverpool versus Man United, Shakiri's there. I think I would go just for the fact that he's a Swiss player. That's the only reason why I would go to one of these friendlies is to see if I can get one of the Swiss players to come over and chat with me. What, what, Reto Ziegler or Phillips uh, Senderos isn't good enough for you? No, but if you go back yeah. to the well, – no, no, no. But if you go back to 2013, 14 when this was created. But much, I went to rather watch MLS now. There's no meaning to these friendlies. It is, it's not even a fun product to watch. Like I, I, I don't get why fans spend $80 <laughs> on these tickets – Watch, you know, even Jose Mourinho said, "Why watch these games?" So let me, you let me play devil. Let me, sorry, Jake. Let me play devil's no. advocate real quick. She said no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 
But let, MLS, a lot of the games don't have meaning until later. So what makes them more? What makes them more different than ICC? Here, yeah, I watched a pretty. I watched a pretty meaningless DC United versus Colorado Rapids game last night. Okay, <laughs> it's about as meaningless as I has Dortmund versus uh, Benfica. Well, let me let me let me let me tell you why. The reason why these games, like for the reason, the reason why the games, I think played at Ann Arbor. Yes, it's a big stadium, but there's no MLS market there. Think about it. I think there's more of a there's more of a draw to non MLS markets with these friendlies because, you know, you got an MLS game going on. Why watch a friendly? I also I also wonder. Think about it, the league has transformed through the years. I just mentioned who the winner was. Do you know how many? How many teams were in MLS in 2014? 18. I think it's 19. Anyway, where do you see this ICC tournament going in the future? It'll still be here. I think it'll still be here no matter what. I think there's always a market for people who wants to see their glorious Manchester United play um, in uh, Ann Arbor. I, I, there'll always be a place. There's always a place to make money. Um now, will it have relevance? I, I don't think so. I think more people are starting to say, hey, we'd rather watch MLS than the ICC. But I still think it always is a place, especially the U.S. market. And, you know, how many people just refuse to watch MLS but uh, will watch the, the Premier League like uh, their life is online. Is cheaper tickets a good way to go about it, though? Do you think they'd be able to sell out, say, a Gillette oh, Stadium? I think so. Of... It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to make, make like a premium or something. Like they have to realize, like there's there's almost like no demand, right? Because think about it, there's no demand for it. So I mean, for MLS clubs, they're increasing their prices for teams because there is a demand and it's incre- and, and it's increasing. There's no demand for this stuff right now, man. I mean, what do we see at Levi Stadium? There's no one there. No one. There's no 16,000. Pittsburgh versus, or Pittsburgh versus, Benfica versus Dortmund. Christian Pulisic is from Pennsylvania, yet they're going at 16,000. Come on, man. Come on. You can't be making your tickets like 90 bucks and then expecting people to show up and there's like no demand for it. No one cares. No one cares to watch insert player that wears like number 67 or something because he's a youth player. Well, like, the audience, the audience also knows that it's a preseason tournament too, and you're not going to see the uh, the mainstays on on the in both clubs. So in you also that regard, it's like competitively, it's not gonna, right? You yeah, but you're right though. Like the price has something to do with it. But if you're going to tell me that I'm going to go to see uh, Liverpool play and I'm, I'm going to see their U23 team on the field, like I. I don't care. I want to see Mo Salah. You know, I want to see Sadio Mane. I want to see Roberto Firmino. I don't. I don't care to see random player from the youth academy. You know, like people. I, I, I think at first it was a cool thing. You know, but it goes to Ann Arbor every year. If it goes to San Francisco every year, and you're getting this the same C squads year after year, the ticket prices are eighty bucks, ninety bucks, hundred bucks. However, it might might however much it might be, people are going to get turned off by it. Now, we'll, you know, I'll see on Tuesday how it is here in Minnesota. I think the tickets are reasonably priced in the lower bowl, 37 bucks. I don't think that's, I don't think that's terribly uh, expensive to see Spurs play AC Milan. 
Now, I'm not going to go because I don't care to see Spurs or AC Milan, and I know that Tottenham it basically is only bringing uh, Son and uh, Erickson to uh, uh, North America. So, But I, I kind of, I, I mean, I can kind of see this tournament kind of fading away here in a few years just because of, if you're only drawing people to Ann Arbor, I mean, is that enough to <laughs> make sure that the, the tournament keeps coming stateside? I don't think so. No, you, no, you're right. Then I'm going to leave you guys with the statistic. And a Gallup poll was taken uh, early 2000, late 2017 was released uh, early 2018. And soccer among all adults is 7% popular. Soccer is 7% popular, 2% behind baseball. And you look at the 13 to 34-year-old bracket. Soccer is tied with basketball in popularity. Now, football is miles ahead. But it's, the people who are saying soccer is dying, some have suggested the, the poll numbers regarding youth participation in soccer is declining. Sure, but I think soccer is only trending up. Just look at the fan bases. Look at MLS expansion. Look at lower division soccer. It, it's growing, and people like the sport because it's it, it's a whole different conversation for a whole another day. People like the sport, and once you get hooked, it's kind of hard to go away. Up next is Doug McIntyre. Joining us to continue our conversation from last episode is Doug McIntyre. He is a U.S. Men's National Team insider for Yahoo Sports. You can follow him at by Doug McIntyre. Doug, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good, guys. How are you? Doing well. Yeah, we're doing we're doing well. And recently in MLS, we've been hearing. We talked last episode, Stephen, about Alfonso Davies' transfer to Bayern Munich. And, Doug, you've been all over this story. We actually saw him score twice last night. What did you make of his performance last night? Yeah, unbelievable performance. And if you if you haven't seen the highlights, go check them out now. I mean, clearly a guy that's uh, that's feeling it after, um, you know, the, the record-breaking, MLS record-breaking transfer, uh, a deal that could – it end up being well north of twenty million dollars U.S. Um, is uh, was announced. He's on his way to Bayern at the end of the year, uh, and he comes back to uh, to the Whitecaps after having missed three games while that deal was uh, completed. And he has two goals and two assists against Minnesota, and both of his goals, guys. I mean, just just unbelievable individual efforts. You know, dancing through defenders um, before scoring. He, he's the real deal. He he really is, and and. I think there's a real chance that he can go to Bayern and compete for minutes in the short term, uh, in the second half of the season. That's how good I, I think he is. And that's, you know, obviously we're talking about one of the very best club teams in the world. Um, but I, I spoke to Davies a couple weeks ago, um, just before the, the deal went through. And he was adamant that he wants to, uh, that he, that he does not want to go on loan. So uh, that's a big statement from a, from a young kid. We've seen a lot of young players, um, sign with big clubs and and uh, and then you know go go to a smaller team to get some experience. We saw it with Matt Miazga a couple of years ago. We've seen it with 
um, with other players as well. Eric Eric Palmer Brown, who signed with Man City uh, on a free transfer from Sporting Kansas City, is now going to his second team on loan since January. So certainly a, a trend, um, but uh, Davies might be a bit different, and, and you can see why he's, he's been so dominant in MLS this year at 17 years old. I don't think we've ever seen a player that age have that sort of impact uh, on MLS, and I'm curious what he can do at the next level. Doug, Amon and I were discussing last episode about the value of his name in MLS. I don't talk about, you know, before this move to Bayern, how popular was Davies in MLS circles? Well, I think the fact that he plays for a Canadian team, we've seen this before, but the fact that he plays in Vancouver um, and that he's a Canadian international and not not an American means that I think a lot of MLS fans really don't, know as much about him as, as as they would if this was a young American kid. So uh, I think certainly this season, the way he sort of forced people to pay attention to him uh, has, has begun to change that a bit. And certainly the, the, the sort of numbers we're talking about with that transfer, um, you know, potentially doubling the uh, the former record, which was set by, uh, by Josie Altidore 10 years ago. When you're talking about a deal in the 20 million euro range, which is what we're talking about here for a 17-year-old, that's a major chunk of change anywhere in the world um, for a player that age. So, um, you know, I think that that's certainly making people take notice. And, and uh, if, if Davies wasn't on the radar of a lot of casual MLS fans before, he certainly is now. Doug, you'd mentioned that you spoke with Davies over the, the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, did you ever get any indication on why, uh, why he's going to Bayern and not, uh, I think I saw PSG was also rumored to be uh, in on him and may have submitted an offer. Did, did he ever discuss why why Bayern was, was the right place for him? No, no, he didn't actually. And it's a good question. It's a fair question. It was it, The timing was interesting. I actually spoke to him uh, about three days before the news broke, broke that it was going to be Bayern Munich, or at least that Bayern had put in. Um, a major offer. And, and even at that point, things hadn't been completed. So, uh, you know, there have been reports that some of the top clubs in the world were, were looking at him. In fact, more than reports, um, Carl Robinson, the Vancouver Whitecaps coach came out publicly and said that that was the case. But at the time we spoke, we didn't, we didn't know, or at least I didn't know that, um, that Byron, uh, was the team that, uh, you know, was, was going to end up getting him. And I'm, and frankly, I'm not even sure Alfonso Davies knew, for sure at that time. I mean, he said that it, he really wasn't made aware of what was going on until a few days before, um, you know, certainly his agents and, and the club would have known, but uh, we didn't get into any, any specifics like that. But yeah, I mean, the, I don't think there was any question that um, Bayern was not the only major, major team, um, you know, chasing, chasing Davies. But, uh, you know, he came out and said that they really put in the effort for him and that was the reason they got him. They also had a plan and showed him exactly how they wanted to utilize him. So I think in the end, that's why uh, Byron got their man and certainly the transfer fee didn't help either, but uh, no, no specifics on why, uh, why Byron as opposed to one of the other clubs that maybe he could have had an opportunity to go to. No. Now I find this, uh, this part, this interesting. Um, it was, this was an Emmanuel Vest uh, article about, uh, Alfonso Davies' transfer, and he talks about how a German journalist by the name of Christoph Biermann actually published a book titled Match Plan, and uh, in the book it talks about how Alfonso Davies was statistically the most likely prospect in the world to become a superstar in the mold of Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi. The book was a major success in Germany and put Davies on the map uh, among clubs in the Bundesliga. 
Doug, have you heard anything about this book? Because I've been trying to find X scripts and stuff like that, but it just seems it just seems fascinating that uh, that the most likely prospect in the world to be a superstar in of Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi was playing in MLS. Yeah, no, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't, I haven't read that book or, or heard of it. I did see that shortly after the, the deal with Davies was announced, the Vancouver Whitecaps social media team put out a series of tweets, uh, obviously, you know, trying to capitalize on the news and, and, and interviews and you know quotes from everybody involved and whatnot. But one of the que- the, tw- the tweets that they put out um, was talking about how a member of um, you know. Vancouver's front office was at a, a global conference and uh, I think it was in Spain or somewhere in Europe and there were representatives from from top clubs around the world there from all, all the top European leagues and an executive from a, a team in La Liga noticed that this uh, employee of the Whitecaps was wearing his Whitecaps polo walked up to him you know unannounced and said Alfonso Davies best uh, teenage prospect in the world or words to that effect um, so certainly he's a guy that has been on the radar, uh, you know, at least you know, for people that do this for a living and, and know where uh, the top prospects are playing around the world. He's, he's been on the radar. I think it's pretty unfair to, to, to say that any 17-year-old kid is going to be the next Messi or Ronaldo. Right. So I wouldn't get too carried away. I think that's, I think that's a bit, a bit uh, hyperbole and, and a bit much at this point. He's, he's a great young player. He's got a really bright future, but you know there's a there's a long way to go before you can even begin to talk about him in the same breath as as, as for my money two two of the very best players that have ever played the game. Um, but 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 again, you know people around the world that do this for a living knew who Davies was, and and he's only gonna he's only gonna make his name even more known. Uh, I think in the next few years. Talk about how this is going to impact the Canadian federation and canadian soccer going forward yeah i think it's great for for the canadian national team obviously that hasn't qualified for a world cup since 1986 I mean, for the first time they have a bona fide men's star uh in the making and 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 maybe not even in the making i mean it's it's crazy to think about um but alfonso davies is 17 years old uh sorry 16 years old won the golden boot at the Concacaf gold cup last year which is just incredible to me, I mean, for for a kid that age to be the leading scorer, he was the joint leading scorer in the tournament. Um, but he still, I think, he played, you know, out of the, you know, between the two players, the tie. I can't remember who the other guy was off the top of my head. Um, but he had the he had the most goals in the fewest minutes, so he got the award. He's a Golden Boot winner at 16 years old in a major international competition. Uh, and you know, I can hear all the people saying, "Oh, well, you know, Gold Cup is not a major international competition, especially an off-year Gold Cup." where it's maybe not the first teams of, of every country, but certainly an impressive feat. So uh, he's a star for, for Canada's national team. And, and it's funny, I asked him a bit about uh, the 2026 World Cup, which is obviously going to be coming to the United States, Mexico, and Canada in a, in a joint bid um, eight years from now. And, and Davies was in Moscow and gave a speech uh, as part of the United Bids presentation to the FIFA con- Congress. And I think a lot of people were very impressed um, with how elephant he showed being such a young, a young guy telling his story. Um, so I asked him, you know, does that kind of put a, a bit of bounce in your step, knowing for sure that you're going to have the opportunity to play in a World Cup when you're just going to be 25 years old, you know, to play in a World Cup in your home country? And he kind of laughed and said, you know, yeah, it's, it's great and everything, and I'm glad we won the bid, but right now I'm thinking about Qatar in 2022. 
Um, so I think that's the goal for the Canadian national team. I mean, the Canadian team, I think, is 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 a is a squad, and Canada's a country that has not um, lived up to its potential on the international stage. They had a lot of good players for a lot of years. You think of guys like Dwayne DeRosario, who's excellent in MLS. A lot of other quality players um, that were playing in some some very good leagues, and they were never able to really put it together as a national team. They didn't even make the final round, the hexagonal round of CONCACAF qualifying. Um, you know, for the last the last 20 years, the 1998 cycle was the last time uh, that Canada was even in the final six in CONCACAF trying to get to a World Cup, which is a pretty astounding stat when you think of, you know, some of the other the other countries that have uh, made it in over the years. So uh, I would certainly hope that Canada would at least get back to coming close to qualifying for a World Cup at some point. Um, and certainly they're looking at this next uh, tournament in Qatar four years from now uh, as something they want to make um, before they, you know, hopefully, and I think for sure, we'll get an auto bid along with the United States and, and Mexico for, for 2026. And Doug, before we gave you a call, uh, Stephen Armand and I were discussing uh, Alfonso Davies versus Christian Pulisic, whose ceiling is higher. Um, what is your take on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a loaded question, um, but fair, a fair one, and one I've thought about a lot. And it's, it's a question like, how good is how good is Alfonso Davies? And I think the real answer is we're not going to know until mm-hmm. he gets over to Germany, and we can see him uh, playing, you know, playing in the Bundesliga, playing against top top players. Uh, and I think I think he's going to have a harder time getting into Bayern's team than than even maybe Christian Pulisic did with Dortmund. I mean. Bayern is a step up from any team in Germany. It's the reason they've been so dominant uh, in the Bundesliga, and they're they're a team that's a, a, a contender to win the Champions League every single year. Uh, and you know, Dortmund's a great team. Schalke's a great team. Um, there, there's a, certainly a number of other top teams in Germany, but really, Bayern is clearly uh, the, the the best team and has been the best team in that league for a long time. Um, but I th- again, I really do think that he he's, he can go over there and play. And I do think Bayern has looked at the success of young North American players in Christian Pulisic, in Weston McKennie, being able to come over and start in that league as teenagers. I mean, Weston McKennie, as a 19-year-old, helped Schalke finish second in that league behind Bayern last year. And we've all seen what, what Pulisic has done. And Christian Pulisic's been a starter for Dortmund since he was 17 years old. So why can't why can't Davies, who you know he's obviously a very dynamic player, I think he's a bit more physically gifted than, than Christian Pulisic is. Obviously, Pulisic's a very 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 good player, very smart player, and technical and all that. And Davies is those things as well. Um, but uh, what you know, time will tell. Uh, you know which which guy is uh, the better player. Uh, you have to give the nod to Christian Pulisic at this point because he's done it. He's, he's He's a, a proven player in the Bundesliga. He's, he's scored goals in the Champions League. He's started Champions League games against teams like Real Madrid. Uh, but I do think Davies' ceiling is, is really high. And it's going to be really fun to watch uh, all these guys. Uh, and I'll throw Josh Sargent's uh, name in there as well, a young American player, 18 years old, uh, in his first uh, season, at least the first season that he's eligible to play for Werder Bremen, another Bundesliga team. Uh, so exciting times for a North American teen- teenagers in Germany. There's no question about it. Now, Doug, you mentioned how Byron noticed the uh, other North American players that came in as like Weston McKinney, like a Pulisic from the other German clubs. And we've seen them partner with FC Dallas. 
Um, there's actually uh, Chris Kappas, an FC Dallas Academy player, is actually with Bayern Munich right now. It's actually not part of the partnership. We all know about Chris Richards, who's on loan with yep. Bayern Munich. Do you do you think all these uh, moves are kind are kind of uh, a move by Bayern Munich to emphasize, you know, like hey, like maybe this is a little undervalued, and we might we think there's a lot of talent around here. Let's go try to see uh, how much we can get. Kind of like that. I think that. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of European teams have looked at the North American market as uh, as a place that they can they can go and find talent um, and and talent that's that's cheap in a lot of cases because of, of the, the way the system is here. I mean, we all know that McKenney, um left the FC Dallas Academy to go over to Schalke, and, and you know he spent seven years in the FC Dallas Academy, and and he goes over and. And uh, and walks away for nothing. I mean, FCD didn't get a didn't get a dime for uh, for his training, and, and you know, no solidarity payments or anything like that. And in the U.S., at least right now, uh, I did think it was interesting that uh, that Vancouver uh, sent a solidarity pay- uh, payment to um, Alfonso Davis' youth, youth club in Edmonton uh, after the, the deal was completed this week. Um, but uh, yeah, there's. There's certainly some interest in, in North American players. It's a big talent pool. It's hard for MLS clubs to cover every inch of, uh, of a massive uh, continent. There's certainly the U.S. and Canada. And, um, and then there's the, the business side as well. I mean, Bayern has an office in the United States, uh, in New York, and, and there are other you know, big clubs that do as well. So they, they, I think they see the marketing potential in the United States as well. But yeah, there's 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 talent there. But before you know, before these guys, uh, you know, we want to get too carried away. I, and and I thought Chris Richards did a very good job last night. He started against Manchester City uh, in, in a pretty uh, exciting preseason friendly game in the, in the ICC, the International Champions Cup, and uh, you know had some nervous moments early. But I, but I thought you know for an 18 year old kid starting at center back against. Uh, some very very good players from from the English champions uh, pretty much held his own, especially as that game went on. Um, but until they do it in real games and until they're actually playing in, in meaningful matches, uh, league games, uh, I, I wouldn't get too carried away um, just yet. A club like Bayern Munich has a lot of resources. They they scour the earth for for players and they'll they'll buy a lot of them and 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 only a few of them pan out. So. Uh, you know, I think I think having a bit of perspective is important when you're talking about uh, young players like like those. Do you think it's kind of a uh, I don't know if it's the right word, but kind of a market inefficiency of sorts that you know there's no compensation and you can almost essentially like poach players uh, from academies without giving up any sort of compensation, kind of making it a I guess like you said a yeah, cheaper uh, way to get talent. I think that's a factor. I mean, I think you'd be silly to think that it's not. Um, I think it is a factor, and certainly a club like Bayern can afford, uh, you know, can afford to, to pay compensation. But yeah, it does. I do think it's it's not an ideal situation, and it's not. Um, you know, I think it's something that you know it'll work its way through the legal system, and I think that you know there'll be determinations made if that's a system that's going to continue. But there's no question that, that it puts. Um, it puts American uh, academies at, at a disadvantage. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and uh, you know, certainly it removes one piece of uh, incentive to, you know, to, to invest in youth development if, uh, if there's, there's not going to be compensation. But 
uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out in, in the next number of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, that that is a market inefficiency, uh, you know, to use your words. I do. Doug, last question here. And this is also a loaded question, but are there any names floating around MLS that could be the next Davies or even a, a youngster that we should keep an eye out on? I think there's a lot of youngsters that we, we should keep an eye out on uh, in MLS. And, and it's interesting that, you know, the World Cup obviously ended uh, two weeks ago today. And and uh, a number of people, including myself, kind of, you know, once it was over, started looking ahead to Qatar. And, and obviously I covered the U.S. national team and, and uh, you know, put out, you know, put out a, proje- a projected roster uh, that I'm sure will be extremely wrong, uh, as you would expect, four years in advance, more than four years in advance. You know what the U.S. squad, what what the 23-man squad for 2022 could look like uh, if the United States qualifies. Of course, no no guarantees there, as we all know now. Um, uh, and there were a number of guys that you know I looked at that are are very young players that are playing in MLS. And I'll give you two names uh, to to leave you with. And uh, I saw both of them play last night. I don't know if you guys caught the uh, the FC Dallas. Uh, Sporting Kansas City game, uh, Armin. I'm sure mm-hmm. you did for sure. Yeah, but absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you, you, you know, you, you look at uh, Reggie Cannon, the right back from mm-hmm. FC Dallas. He's a guy that has a ton of a ton of speed, um, and uh, and you know, US has not produced a lot of fullbacks over the years. It's been a, and that's still the case. I mean, there's not a there's not a ton of depth at, depth at fullback um, in the US when we look back to qualifying. You had uh, you had Graham Zuzzi playing in games. We've, we've seen converted midfielders uh, in the past. Look at the last World Cup, Fabian Johnson, another guy that's probably a natural midfielder, goes back into the back line. Demarcus Beasley, career midfielder, gets pushed uh, into left back, and, and you can go on and on. I mean, you can go back a number of World Cups. The 2006 World Cup, uh, Bobby Convy's uh, playing as a fullback, another midfielder, even 2002 to, to go way, way back, that great run that the U.S. had way back then. Um, two converted midfielders at the fullback spots, even then, and Tony Sana and uh, and Frankie Hayduk. So, um, so yeah, it's good to have uh, some some real uh, good uh, prospects, uh, outside back prospects in MLS. Danilo Acosta, uh, a guy uh, that plays for Real Salt Lake. Um, you know, for my money, one of the best teams in the league at developing young young talent. I think he's a he's an interesting player as a left back, uh, and a guy uh, again that we saw last night in uh, Jalen Lindsay, 18 years old. Uh, naturally right-footed player, but playing left back uh, for, for for Sporting Kansas City uh, for for Peter Vermees, um, and I, I thought he was very good last night. Uh, uh, and you know, for an 18-year-old to be starting in any any you know professional back line in the world is impressive. Um, and I think it's pretty good to see now in MLS because I think in years past we haven't seen a ton of teenage players um, that are getting playing time and making a mark in MLS, or at least we haven't seen enough of those guys. And I think that's starting to change. We're seeing guys like Tyler Adams with the Red Bulls, uh, you know, now established, uh, established, uh, an established player in this league, Davies, that we spent a good portion of, of you know, this pod talking about. Um, so that's a good thing because you look around the world and, and different leagues and you see, uh, you see young guys breaking through at young ages. That's a good thing. And, uh, you know, the knock on American players has always been there. It can be a bit of, uh, you know, they're late developers for a number of reasons. And you certainly see that with players coming out of college. But I think it's encouraging that we're seeing younger players coming through and breaking into the first teams, having, you know, come out of the, 
the academy systems, and um, I'm hopeful and I'm confident that we're going to see more of that uh, as the years go by here. Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell the listeners where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter and any other social media platform you want to plug away. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, guys. A real pleasure chatting with you. I'm, I'm at Doug Mac, uh, by Doug McIntyre on Twitter, uh, and you can just you can find me at Yahoo Sports. Uh, and we'll be doing a lot of uh, a lot of U.S. men's national team coverage this fall. Number of high-profile uh, friendly matches coming up starting uh, in September with games against Brazil, Mexico. Uh, the year's going to end with games against Italy and England. Um, so a, a lot of stuff to look forward to before the end of the year, and uh, I hope you guys check it out. We will. We look forward to it, and thanks for, uh, for coming on, Doug. Chat soon, I guess. You got it, guys. Anytime, anytime. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you. I would recommend reading Doug McIntyre's stuff. He's real insightful. Definitely good with the U.S. men's national team. But, guys, turning the page to something quite interesting regarding U.S. soccer. And it's quite controversial. And before we even be Polarizing. Polarizing, controversial, political. Before we even get to what we're talking about, I didn't want to mention that we're not here for sound bites. We're actually here to have a dialogue. To have an in-depth conversation. Maybe our opinions will disagree among the three of us. But listeners, particularly with you, we're trying to bring depth to the table. Okay, This is not cable news where it is shouting at each other. And we invite polarizing guests for ratings purposes and to show everybody how morally acceptable we are compared to everybody else. This is not what we're here for. It's actually to have a conversation. Yes, this is sports. It's very simple. Yes, there's a lot of yelling. You can go to ESPN first take for that. But what we're trying to talk about here is U.S. soccer. And U.S. soccer is is complex. Just go to my discussion on lower division soccer. It's not about the banter pro-rail for USA 24-7. No, it was about marketing. It was about the players. It was about the financial structure of it all and what does U.S. soccer want? Well, what about MLS? It, it, it's complex. So this next conversation here is complex. It's in-depth. Now, Armand, let's let's just go to you and you sh- tell us the timeline so then we can jump into the conversation from there because we got to timeline this first and introduce okay, this topic. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. So, I mean, it's been a really hot topic. I mean – been paying attention to soccer on Twitter uh, around uh, U.S. women's soccer. It's been a hot topic, and it's about Jalen A. Hinkle. She plays for North Carolina Courage. Uh, she's an outside back, um, and it, it's, it's a really complex and interesting situation. So Jalen A. Uh, she's really she's actually been really good. She was called up to the national team and has made eight caps in 2015. But in 2017, uh, she was called up again. 
for international friendlies against Sweden and Norway, but she did not attend. Mm -hmm. And the reasoning she gave was personal reasons. And we're uh, to give some background. In June, it is Pride Month, and uh, the U.S. soccer team wears rainbow jerseys on the back. Uh, she goes on the 700 Club. She says, I just felt so convinced in my spirit that it wasn't my job to wear this jersey citing the 2017 friendlies. And the 700 Club, for y'all that don't know, is, I'm um, just taking this off Google, a talk show featuring guests, news, and spiritual stories from a Christian perspective. And it's hosted by Pat Robertson, uh, who has some very mm, interesting <laughs> opinions. They're Inter- out interesting, there. interesting opinions. They're out there. They're <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. They're interesting opinions. Um, and twenty. And now it was flash forward. Why is it an issue now? Why are we talking about this now? She was actually called up to the women's national team uh, training camp for the tournament of nations, uh, which marked her first call up from a team since withdrawing from the camp in 2017. And she was not called up, or she was not. She was cut from the team. Plain and simple. And it's really interesting because when I was reading about this topic. A, a lot of people, even people who are against what she, what uh, they believe is the homophobia that uh, she promotes, is they're saying she's good enough. They're saying that the fullback is a problem position for the U.S. Women's National Team. This is from the SB Nation article by uh, Kim McCauley. Uh, people are really skeptical that it was only soccer reasons. And many people say it's, she's a really good tactical fit for the team. And that she's the a more attacking and better fullback. So the question behind this is now: Is it yay for U.S. soccer for cutting uh, someone uh, who does not agree with uh, LGBTQ, or are they reverse blackballing her or reverse Colin Kaepernicking her uh, as what's going on with Colin Kaepernick right now in the NFL? And guys. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's just a very fascinating situation that U.S. soccer find themselves in. Jake, before we get into the conversation, I want to I wanted to mention this is not about the LGBTQ community versus the Christian right. This is USSF versus this player. So from Hinkle's actions. Uh, getting called up and then refusing to wear the jersey, therefore she declined the call up. Let's begin there, guys. Was that the right decisions, Armand? You do have some sort of quote on why she did it. Uh, she goes and she says on the seven hundred club. I just I felt so convicted in my spirit that wasn't my job to wear this jersey. I gave myself three days to seek and pray and determine what he was asking me to do in a situation. I knew in my spirit I was doing the right thing. I knew I was being obedient. I mean. If she wanted to reject it, I mean, she can. It, it's her belief. I'm not going to criticize someone. Uh, I'm not going to criticize someone's faith, I guess. But I don't. I don't. I don't agree with it. But at the same time, I'll agree that the way that I think we talked about this, Stephen, the way that she went about it, you know, going on the 700 Club and just kind of proclaiming it's the world. Well, my biggest issue is that she. She talks about, you know, being Christian and coming out and praying about it. Fine. I, that's good. My issue is it, it, it's counterproductive in today's society on what she did. It, it, in the grand scheme of things, I think she made a mistake. She should have put on the damn shirt and she should have said, listen, I don't agree with this lifestyle, whatever she, she disagrees with. 
and, and tells people, look, I still represent America. I still love these people. And I, I'm going to do it out of compassion. And I, you know, I'm going to share the gospel or whatever she may want to. But it, 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 in today's society, in, in putting it in context, it just makes you roll your eyes and it's another player and it's another controversy. It, but the U.S. Soccer Association's reaction to it is also wrong. And Armand, when we chatted over the phone, I said that two wrongs don't make a right. That this is how I judge it as two wrongs don't make it right. What she did to me personally was a mistake. Okay, I think she it's went wrong. about it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But the way that U.S. Soccer has treated her and the backlash she, they received online, I, I think, is also fair to question and makes U.S. Soccer, you know, just wave the flag and not have any principles when it's. Let me just, you know, lick my finger. Okay, the wind's pointing that direction. Therefore, that's the decisions we're going to make. I think that's not a good sign either because it kind of sums up where U.S. soccer's head is. Oh, you, you know, it's like the GM position. Apples and oranges comparison here, but it was because the fans were calling for it. Again, U.S. soccer licks their finger, puts it up in the air. That's the way the wind is blowing. Therefore, let's go with that decision. No, is that a bad comparison? Uh, tell me wrong. Like, I, you know, I'm up for I, disagreement. I kind of disagree with you that it's a bad look for U.S. soccer to <sighs> blackballer. Is that the word, is that what the word we're using? Yeah, blackball. Colin, I mean, reverse Colin Kaepernick. Reverse Colin Kaepernicking her. In, in one sense, I mean, by all means, she has every right to believe or say whatever she wants to say. This is America. She can choose to not want to represent her country when they're putting um what's the right I don't the know how to say it they're, they're putting a rainbow pride statement on the the back of the shirt if she doesn't if she wants to stick to sports because that's basically what she's saying is I want to stick to sports I don't want to <laughs> <don't> <laughs> yeah but she she anything more than sports yeah well, hold on here let me finish she can do that and she has every right to do that however it does not protect her from consequence and at the end of the day what is US soccer most notably the women's side. Oh, I shouldn't say most notably the women's side. What is U.S. soccer trying to accomplish when they're putting these teams on the field and they're showcasing them in front of, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 people in, in the stadium? What, what, what's their goal? To it's make USA. money. No, it's to make money. It's not oh, USA. Okay, it's fair, to make money. Yeah, they're okay, trying to make money. Yeah. Okay. So it's not a good look for U.S. soccer to say, look at this player we have here. Uh, one of our, I don't, I don't know if prominent is the right word, but look at this player we have in our starting lineup, one of our, our fullbacks, that is not supportive of the LGBTQ community. But think but, about think about the backlash that causes, though. Think okay. of the backlash in certain adult. I mean, so, you know, soccer generate yeah. uh, is the demographic of people that are watching soccer are going to be more progressive, going to be mm-hmm. more leaning left if we're going to talk about the political spectrum here that's not going to sit well with it hasn't sat well it hasn't exactly yeah you're right no you're right but what i would say here is i don't think she's coming out let's just premise this that she's not against gay people i think it's it's what the marriage aspect it's i is, is that what specific? I no, even, I'm, I'm asking even, a serious question. Like, is what is because I'm reading from a CNN opinion piece. 
and it, it's not necessarily that she's against gay people or she wants you know to damn them to hell. It's just she's you know who Latinos. rejects same sex marriage. That's I think that is the premise that she's arguing against. But Stephen, you know in today's society that <laughs> she could say that and maybe say I'm I'm I <laughs> I love homosexuals but i just don't think they should get married and you know you know what the backlash is of just no, that I, I understand that, that. that you're still a homophobe in today's society so yeah whether she is whether she's supportive of gay people but not their right to get married or she's a full-blown homophobe it, it in most people's minds she's homophobic the problem is she be she i think armand said it i don't know either on air or off air is that her actions had consequences, and she should she should have known that. That's why I think she went about it to begin with the wrong way. If she was going to want want to say, you know, listen, I'm not for gay marriage, but I'm not against gay people. She should have put on the shirt and played and say, these are my sisters, and I love them. Blah 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 blah. I think that would have been more productive in today's society. I just, I just, I uh, here's the thing. I don't agree with what she did. I don't agree with her belief. Like I don't agree with it at all, but I don't. I also don't agree that she should be reverse blackballed for, or I keep saying reverse blackballed, reverse Colin Kaepernick for it. I, 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 especially when we see outlets uh, who are pro LGBTQ articles that are pro LGBTQ that are saying we think she's good enough soccer wise, and I think that's also part of the issue too. Part of the issue is you have a coach Jalas coming out saying, yeah, it's soccer. Re- it's soccer reason she got cut. Which everyone is just rolling their eyes and saying bull crap. We know what's. We know there's another dynamic to it. it if that's the case, then what is that dynamic? Is it that she doesn't mesh well with the team? That a lot of the team was uncomfortable with what she said. Therefore, it kind of messed with team dynamic, um, and they don't want that. If that's the case, I think it's a perfectly fair reason. And I know Ellis is just trying to protect, uh, or protect, not burn bridges. But at the same time. You can't just throw out, oh, it, it's soccer reasons, and then and then expect people to take you legitimately, like like seriously. And the whole situation is just kind of weird, right? Because they call her up with Jill Ellis, who is uh, who is married to a woman and has a ha- has a kid. She she calls her up. I'm sure it's with her approval. I mean, th- that makes sense, right? And then you cut her after a, a, a couple days, and you claim it's soccer reasons. When I think we all know it's anything but. Let me let me ask you this, guys. If since she's been cut, she's been cut. But say that they did not cut her and she played. Do you think it's in your personal opinion, not what the mom thinks, not what society thinks, but you personally? Do you think it would have is a bad look for U.S. soccer? No, I don't think so. I don't think it is a battle for U.S. soccer. Jake, let me interrupt you. I, this is a very unpopular opinion, but I think it needs to be said. Do you think the fact that this is women's sports it has affected the the press coverage of this story? And if we want to go even more underneath the microscope, women soccer players do have a strong association with the LGBTQ. Community, Megan Rapino, Amy Wambach, the coach, the, the, you know, they're all from that community. No, I, I think the 
the fact that it is women's soccer, which I think is about as niche as you can probably get in terms of sports in this country. I think that definitely affects the way that the, the press covers it. Uh, I mean, before we, we had that phone call um, earlier this week about this topic. I mean, I maybe have seen it come across my Twitter timeline once. And I follow a lot of soccer writers on Twitter and I don't really see anybody, at least on the internet, or at least the people I follow on Twitter, giving this much attention at all. Or even um, U.S. Soccer's subreddit, too. I, I think, I don't know about you or mine, but I know I follow that subreddit, too, on Reddit, and I don't ever see this story come up. It's, I think it is. I think part of it is. I, 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 I haven't heard the story talked about as much. I mean, again, the only reason why I heard about it was um, I think I saw it pop up my Twitter feed and someone was talking about it. I was like, oh, let's see what's going, let's see what's going on about this. And the more I read about it, the more I was like, oh, shoot, what the hell is going on? Um, but no, I, I, I agree. I think part of it is because for, for whatever reason, there's not that much of a, I guess, like a national eye on this. I think this is a big issue, man. Like, I really think this is a really big issue. That's why I want to bring it up on the show. You're, the yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's got no no notoriety or anything. I think it's this big that the, the, sorry it's the women's national team. So sorry to interrupt, but Armand brought this to the forefront. This is not some topic, uh, not to bury Armand and you know direct all your hate mail at him. But I'm saying it's, Armand thought this was a realistic conversation. We even had a conversation to whether or not, whether or not to have this on the show, and I think it it, it provides. A unique take where U.S. soccer is involved in something very controversial. You have a player here with controversial statements. Whether you agree with them or not, that's your own prerogative. The three of us have said she went about this the wrong way. Okay, The three of us have said that. But she, the three of us all also agree she has the right to say this. Okay, it's She went about it the wrong way. And U.S. soccer clearly had... A dilemma on hand and it was they decided to cut bait with her the problem is I don't see many other players doing what she does particularly on the woman's side and especially after this yeah especially after this you think do you think anyone else is gonna come out and and say like hey like you know like my my, my faith blah, blah 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 no way because if you're if, if you if you're you know just quiet you know and you're like well I'm not going to say anything or else I get cut. I think it's a massive topic, and I'll tell you what. The Women's World Cup is next year. So the this question is going to affect their pool. Do you bring this her gonna, up? They're playing in the tournament. Do you, If she's the best player, do you call her up? Or are you like, uh, Or are you like, we don't agree, we don't, or, you know, the team dynamic will get messed up? Or all these things. They have, what, I think it's like Crystal Dunn at left back? Right now, Crystal Dunn... Was was is a forward? <laughs> She's playing left back. It's like Come the on, US guys! National team Come sticking on, a midfielder like on the right flank. and stuff. It, I don't. It's it's a massive topic. No one's talking about it. It's bothering me because this is. I feel like we're gonna see this pop up at some point. I think we all agree that how she went about it is wrong. I think we all agree that U.S. soccer kind of put themselves in a pickle by you know if you're if you're not gonna like. Call her up, like don't call her up. Then, I well, if mean, you're gonna she, if you're gonna cut her, don't call her up. Does that that's I yeah, exactly. If you're gonna cut her, don't call her up. It's if it, it, it gives a really bad look, but no one's gonna talk about it because, uh, quite frankly, there's not a lot of press, and 
to be honest with you, mainstream media doesn't care. They don't care. The U.S. Women's National Team is in tournament of nations right now. Let How me, many of y'all know that? Let me just ask you. How many of y'all know that? Do you no, know that Women's National Team is in tournament of nations right now? Honestly. I knew that. I uh, Genuinely, I knew Honestly, that. Honestly, Jake, do you know that? Because a casual fan, I promise you, doesn't know that. And that's why SKC's field looked a little looked a little beat up, to be honest with you, because they just played a women's national team game there. No one sold out. Media wise cares. Sold out game two. I I promise you, if Hinkle, question is, if Hinkle was starting, do you think there would have been more eyes on the game? Potentially, potentially, but still, like what? It, it it's it's tough because women's sport, because women's soccer in general in the United States gets no press coverage. I mean. They have it what on ESPN News like nothing lifetime nothing. I mean you, you there's not no they, they get paid nothing. <laughs> it's that's why no one's talking about this because quite frankly mainstream wise no one cares. It's such a it's such a topic that we have to talk about in the show. If we're all we're going to talk about uh, the U.S. Uh, soccer program as a whole that you know someone's coming out saying I don't want to wear the the LGBTQ uh, jersey. They get called up. They get cut. Okay, is this a case of we don't want you because of what you said? Or is this a case of the team dynamic? We don't know. But it, I think it's a big deal, guys. I just really think it's a big deal. It's just being kind of hush-hush thrown underneath the rug. You know, a conversation like this is difficult because there's multiple aspects to it. And it requires people to go further than just categories and talking about people on the surface. I I think this hopefully was a valuable discussion. Armand, Jake, and I may not agree on everything. We may disagree on everything. It doesn't matter. But the three of us can still come together and have a dialogue. And hopefully, just by us doing this, people out there will not be afraid to have a comment on this. And it's not, you know, I'm pro uh, Hinkle or I'm anti-Hinkle. Give us a reason. Tweet at us. Give us your thoughts. Did she do the right thing? If maybe you're a Christian out there, what do you think on, on this perspective? Did she do it about the right way? What would you have done differently? Huh? And what about U.S. soccer for calling her up saying, you know, thinking, okay, she could just slide on in. She'd be a perfect fit for our system, blah, blah, blah. And then cut. Did U.S. soccer do the right thing here? Is there a blackballing going on? Should fans out there boycott? U.S. soccer at the World Cup if Hinkle gets called up based on these actions. It, 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 it's, it's deep, guys. This is not a surface level conversation. Anyway, listeners, follow us on Twitter, UncSamSoccerPod. Give a follow to our boy Jake Watroba. And hey. I'm on Kafai down in Texas covering FC Dallas. You all want to hear it. Hey, be on a lookout. I'm planning on hosting another roundtable before summer ends and uh, we're going to do a fourth episode with this hashtag save the crew and the potential relocation of the Columbus crew as more interesting news came out about some sort of agreement happening in Austin listeners we'll be back next week until next time the available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. 
Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end, it's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.